So God had to become righteous for us. He went to the cross in the perfect God man, Jesus, who had never sinned. And the wrath of God was poured out on his son instead of you and me. This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. For the next few weeks, we'll be taking a break from David's study of the Gospel of John, but today we'll be taking a look at Jesus' last few hours on earth. Did any of his final hours fulfill prophecy from the Old Testament? And how do his final hours impact our walk with him today? Here's David with a message called, The Fulfillment of the Prophecy. What I wanna do today is to look at these next verses in Luke 24 about the resurrection. Uh, the resurrection is the bulwark of the Christian faith. If, if we don't have the resurrection, we don't have a faith. We are people most to be pitied if the resurrection isn't true. And if you look at the proofs of the resurrection, if you love the Lord with all your mind first and then it goes to your heart, that's because you've probably come to grips with the fact that there are proofs of the reality that Jesus is alive. And they are indisputable. You have people like Simon Greenleaf, who's the founder of the American jurisprudence, of the American law system, and he was a skeptic. He put Jesus on trial. He put his resurrection on trial. And at the end of it, he came to faith in Jesus. Undeniable if people are really willing to look at the truths of the resurrection. And these people had, and they called Jesus Lord and now have done what he has called them to do. There's another proof that we're going to look at today, and that is the proof of the prophecies in the Old Testament that are pointing toward Jesus. There are 500 plus in all. And if you look at the probability factors of all of those 500 prophecies in the Old Testament pointing in specificity to Jesus, the probability factor is one out of gazillions. If you want to be honest with your mind loving Jesus first, you've got to look at all of these prophecies fulfilled in him. Nowhere is that clearer than in the verses we're about to look at in Luke, the 24th chapter, starting with verse 44. Then, then Jesus said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me, that's in the Old Testament, everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, the three divisions of the Old Testament in Jesus' day, must be fulfilled. May I underline must? They must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And that's the way you understand the scriptures, by asking Jesus to open your mind to what the scripture is saying. To understand the scriptures, and he said to them, thus it is written. There was a written word of God that Jesus and the Jewish followers of that day followed. We call it the Old Testament. It was written. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day, rise from the dead. Jesus predicted that on multiple occasions, that he would die and on the third day be raised from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to where, folks? To, to all the nations, to all the ethne, to all the ethnic groups in all of the world. This gospel of Jesus Christ is to be proclaimed to all of the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I mean, they, they'd seen the risen Jesus over 40 days. They'd seen him on multiple occasions raised from the dead. You're witnesses to these things, and behold, 
I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. That's the promise of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. I'm sending him upon you, but stay in the city, stay in Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. But the implication is, after that happens, then go into all the nations and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, so here is the context of these verses. Um, in Luke 24, you see that Jesus had been laid in the tomb. The women had begun anointing his body, as was the custom of that day on Friday, but at 6 o'clock they had to stop because Shabbat, Sabbath, began. According to Jewish law, they had to stop. So they came back on Sunday morning, early in the morning, to continue and complete the task of the anointing of Jesus' body. But they got there, and the stone that covered the tomb had been rolled away. And they went, oh my. A couple of angels appeared and said, he's not here And so they ran back to the disciples who had gathered and were probably fearful of their own lives being taken by the Romans. They probably were fearful too. They'd be crucified. But when the women came and testified and gave witness to the fact that Jesus was alive, two of the disciples broke off, Peter and John, and ran to the empty tomb, and they looked inside, and there was something about the way the grave clothes were still in order that they believed that Jesus was alive. They came back then to all of the disciples and the women gathered together and they said, we saw the same thing. Then the next part of the story is two disciples break off from that group and walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus, their hometowns, about seven hours worth of walking. And they're talking about what is going on here. Someone comes alongside them and says, what are you guys talking about? And they said, are you the only person alive who doesn't know what's happened in Jerusalem over the last several days? And of course, this person was Jesus. And he took these two disciples, one named Cleopas, I think the other was his wife, we don't know for sure, and he marched them from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Malachi, about all those 500 plus verses that pointed to Jesus. And I can't wait to see that encounter on heaven's YouTube. It's going to be an amazing encounter, Jesus talking to those two guys. And at the end of the journey, they invite him to eat with them. And there's something in the way that Jesus takes control of the evening and breaks the bread that they recognize it's Jesus. When they say so, he disappears. And over the next 40 days, there are many other resurrection appearances, the next one being this one. Those verses where Jesus appeared again to them when they were gathered. And he says to them, why are you doubting? He offers them to touch the wounds in his hands or feet. He says, go ahead, touch. There's no evidence they did, but it was enough to make them take one step further toward believing that Jesus was raised from the dead. And then in a most remarkable way, Jesus breaks bread and takes some food and eats with them. Now, I find this remarkably wonderful, for that means that Jesus in his resurrection had a material, physical, flesh and blood body. And what the Bible teaches is that what he has for those of us who believe in him, we have. That means that our resurrection bodies will be material, physical, flesh and blood bodies. The difference is going to be they don't age, they don't hurt, they don't cry, and they don't have tribulation. Is anyone excited about that kind of a body? Now here's what you need to know. Jesus' resurrection was not a disembodied spirit. Jesus' resurrection was his life enclosed in his eternal resurrection material body. And it's the same ones that we'll have like his. 
And here's a neat insight is that as Jesus ate with that body with his disciples in heaven, we're going to be able to eat with our bodies and not have calories or one pound added to our bodies. Would you praise God for that one too? Isn't that good news? There's going to be fun in heaven. We're going to be able to eat and enjoy food as Jesus did with his disciples. Now, these verses I just read to you are the next steps in that teaching of his disciples in that resurrection appearance. And what he does is he first of all says, don't you guys get it? I said to you on multiple occasions that I must go to Jerusalem and I must die and I must be raised from the dead. Must. It's got to happen. It's the preordained, predetermined plan of God that existed in the heart of God before this world was ever created. God knew the angels would rebel. He knew that we would rebel. And there's a plan that he had in his gospel to save us from our sins, to take us to a higher place than even we were in creation. Adopted spiritual sons and daughters of the King of kings and Lord of lords. I must do this, Jesus said to them. It's got to happen. And then he spends time with them doing something most remarkable. He doesn't go through the 500 plus verses of prophecy in the Old Testament that pointed to him like he did with the two on the road to Emmaus. But he went through all the verses in the Old Testament. It is written, this must be fulfilled, that had to do specifically with his cross and his resurrection. Are are you with me? that he took these disciples in this resurrection appearance through all the verses in the Old Testament. It is written, this book that we've lived by, that is the prophets, the Psalms, and um, the prophets, the Psalms, and Moses, that this collection of books that what we believe in point to me in specificity about my cross and my resurrection. So what I did for you to try to help you understand this in detail is I listed them all out here on this sheet that you were given. And if you want to learn how to love God, love God with your mind because here's what Jesus did with his disciples to show how all of these prophecies in the Old Testament about his cross and his resurrection were fulfilled in him. Now, let me give you a couple of insights of how that's done. Uh, First of all, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Psalm 22. And I think... These guys in Jesus' day, even though it was a written word that was held in the synagogues, most of these guys memorized the words of God when they were kids. They put it deeply in their hearts when they were kids. So when Jesus said to them, remember the psalm that said these words, they would remember it because they had memorized it. They, They didn't have iPhones and they didn't have Bibles that they could open up then. They had memorized it deeply in their hearts. So Jesus took them, for example, to Psalm 22, verse 1. And he said, do you remember these words? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groanings? And they go, that, that's what you said on the cross. Jesus would go, Exactly. What happened on that cross, folks? What happened on that cross? Why did God have to go to the cross? Because he knew you and I couldn't save ourselves. There's no way we can save ourselves. There's no way you and I can become righteous enough to be acceptable to God. So God had to become righteous for us. He went to the cross in the perfect God-man, Jesus, who had never sinned, and 
The wrath of God was poured out on his son instead of you and me. That's what the word gospel means. That's the good news that God took the punishment for our sins upon his son rather than you and me. And when that happened, because previously the son had had perfect union life with the father for all eternity, one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a perfect union life among themselves, Jesus enjoyed so much being in that perfect relationship with the father here on earth. But the moment he took all of our sins upon himself, he could not have a perfect union life with the father in heaven. It was impossible. The perfect father could not have fellowship with his son with all of our sins poured upon him. At that moment, Jesus cried out in fulfillment of Psalm 22.1, a prophecy about the Messiah, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that moment when our curse of sin fell upon Jesus, the father turned his back on his son. And you can just see the light bulbs going off in the minds of his disciples as Jesus did that. And that's just one example. And, and read Psalm 22 and you'll see others about the piercing of hands and the piercing of feet of the Messiah that are fulfilled in Jesus, a psalm written 900 plus years before Jesus ever came. And then I bet he took them to Isaiah 53 and he said, you remember the suffering servant in Isaiah? And they all went, yes, we memorized that. It is of great importance to Israel. And Jesus probably went, remember this verse? Verse 3, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Just as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. And the disciples probably went, yeah, yes, that, that, that was you. You were despised and forsaken. And surely he has borne our griefs, verse 4, and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. God's the one who afflicted his servant. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds we are, anybody know the answer? We're healed. That, that, that what Jesus did on that cross took our sins upon himself and granted us forgiveness, and we're now healed. And can't you just see the disciples going, oh, oh yeah. All of these verses about you in the, the Old Testament the cross is seen. It had to happen. It was prophesied. And then you, you can see on this, now I'm not going any depth, but do the research yourself. Come on, folks. If you saw a grown-up playing in a kiddie pool, what would you do? What would you do? You'd call the police. There's an adult playing in the kiddie pool. Sometimes I feel like, folks, you have been walking with the Lord for years. Quit playing in the kiddie pool. It's time for you to grow up and love Jesus passionately. You can do the research. Do so. And look also at Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53 and the verses that talk about how the suffering servant will prolong his days and continue to live. Or look at Psalm 1610, the prophecy that the Holy One of God will not live in decay that Peter used in Acts 2 when he preached his Pentecost sermon 
He was the one who went to Psalm 1610 to point out that Psalm was talking about the resurrection of Jesus. Are you with me? So Jesus spent some period of time taking his disciples through the reality that he must suffer and die. He must be raised from the dead in accordance with the Old Testament prophecies, again, written from 400 to 1,000 years before he ever came. Folks, how do you explain that? The resurrected Jesus shows it was all a part of the plan of God. Now, when you grasp that Jesus was sent to earth, God in human flesh, he lived the perfect life we can't live because we have a disease called sin that happened at the moment of conception. And that we deserve eternal separation from God, but God intervened and rescued us on the cross to take the punishment for our sins upon himself. That's what great love is. And was raised from the dead to prove it's true. When you believe that, Jesus said there are three practical applications of it. Every great sermon has applications, right? I mean, if I just give you facts and you leave, you go, so what? Facts should lead to following. Here are the three practical applications Jesus gave to the reality of him coming, living, dying, and being raised from the dead. Here's the first one. There's repentance. Jesus said when you preach this message, there will be repentance. Did you know Jesus' first sermon was Matthew 4, 17, where he said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. His last sermon is teach the world about repentance. It's terribly important. When you understand who Jesus is and when you receive him as Lord and Savior, there's repentance of your former life. You're listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Coming up, David joins me in the studio in an insightful conversation about this morning's moment of hope. We'll be right back. This is the Ministry Minute, focusing on ministries that have a positive impact on our community. I'm Mark McManus, and here is Jim Noble with the Dream Center Charlotte. Hello, my name is Jim Noble with the Charlotte Mecklenburg Dream Center. And Bo and I, the director of the Dream Center, just wanted to take a minute and tell you guys thank you. Moments of hope, David and Marilyn Chadwick, all of you there, Dean, we all have been phenomenal for us. Uh, you, you've been there since 08 when we started King's Kitchen, and that kind of grew into the Dream Center. And the meals we've fed the last eight weeks, probably exceeding 55,000 now, I guess. Uh, we're so grateful you guys have made such an impact in the city by reaching out to those that have needs greater than we have. And uh, what do you think, Bo? Yeah, so it's been amazing to, to just watch the, the work that's happened um, with the meals as they've gone out. You know, uh, we, I always tell people it's not about the food, it's about the relationships that are formed and the ministry that takes place. And so, um, and JT Williams and Thomasboro and Reed Park, I mean, it has opened up doors that we never thought would be open. Um, you know, we've seen people come out um, and just welcomed us with open arms, just so grateful for the meals and, and we just thank you moments of hope and just this couldn't be this wouldn't be possible without you guys and you know uh the, the first call we made uh when we decided to go this route and provide these meals was the moments of hope and it was uh, a phone call that was met with a resounding yes and so we're so appreciative of you guys and just um everything you all do for us and for the kingdom 
And not only that, but you uh, also sewed into our kitchen in the Dream Center now. This week started producing meals there, and as the restaurants open back up, all the meals will shift to the Dream Center with the kitchen you helped us do. So we're so grateful for you guys. God bless you. God bless Moments of Hope, and we just pray an unlimited return harvest on the seed you sowed into this ministry. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Moments of Hope. I'm Jen Houston, and with me is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thank you so much for joining us today. Hello, Jen. It's wonderful to be with you. Well, in this morning's Moment of Hope, you gave us all a great life lesson about rebuilding after grieving a loss. The actual Davidism is this one. Don't look at what you've lost. Look at what you have left. May I say it again? Don't look at what you've lost. Look at what you have left. After a tornado had destroyed his son's Iowa home, his father offered an unexpected perspective. Don't look at what you've lost. Look at what you still have. It's a life lesson all of us need to learn. Loss is a certainty in life. We'll all face at different times the loss of things that we love or cherish. It's inevitable, inescapable, a part of the human experience. So the question then becomes, how do we recover after a loss? And here's the answer. Rebuild. Hmm. Rebuild with what you have still left in your life. Rebuilding begins first by grieving the loss. But Christ followers grieve with hope. 1 Thessalonians 4.13, by examining what we have left and then rebuilding our lives on God's firm foundation with the gifts we still have. Become a prisoner of hope, Zechariah 9.12, believing that God doesn't despise the days of small beginnings. It is He who gives us the strength to rebuild, even when life's blows seem to have taken so much away, Zechariah 4.10. Remember this. Don't look at what you've lost. Look at what you still have and believe there's always hope as you trust in the God who is a redeemer, rebuilder, and restorer. Mm, This is so powerful, and I can't help but think about Nehemiah and the rebuilding process and the strategy that the Lord gave him, each family coming to a section on the wall to rebuild. I just think that's such a powerful picture of hope for us. It is indeed, and you know, Zechariah, when he wrote those verses in his book, was talking to a people returning to Jerusalem and returning to the land where they once were but had been deposed because of their disobedience to God. And he was trying to give them hope as they went back and saw the rubble of the temple, the rubble of the walls, the rubble of the roads. And he was saying, hey, look, don't despise the days of small beginnings. Hey, be a prisoner of hope. Hey, start to rebuild. You have been allowed to return. Now make sure you make this city as good or even better than it was before. As Haggai looked at the rebuilding of the temple, uh, he said, we're going to restore the temple to a greater glory than it had even before. I love that. And I love that God is in the rebuilding business as well. We even see him saying these heavens and earth are going to pass away. And people have asked me, why in the world is God going to Uh, have to renew heaven. And the truth is because Satan has had access to him to accuse all of us of our disobedience and God's going to have to have an eternal 
Brillo pad, if you will, to scour any stench of Satan's presence in heaven. Wow. But there will be rebuilt a new heaven and a new earth, Jen, as you said, and that should give us all great hope. This is so good. Thank you so much for joining us today, David. Well, thank you, Jen, and all. If you'd go to momentsofhopechurch.org, you can get my daily written Moments of Hope free of charge. Subscribe there from my heart to yours, 7 a.m. every morning to begin your day with a moment of hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. We'd love to have you join us for worship this Sunday morning. We meet at Providence Day School located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte at 10 a.m. You can find more information on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. And while you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moments of Hope delivered every morning to your inbox. And also check out David's Hopecast. They're both free and available at momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to pray for those who are standing for truth in our state government.